today uh, we will continue this series on the seven deadly sins. And uh, again, I want to specify that uh, all sins are deadly. But usually we call these seven deadly sins uh, in such a way because they're in some, somehow parenting other sins. And uh, this morning we will speak about lust. I believe that is something important. And even if somehow involves a topic that rarely we address in church, I believe that the Word of God is calling us to be many times very careful not to follow in the sin. So before we read the scriptures, um, I feel the necessity to pray. Father God, once again, we come before your presence of the Lord. We thank you for uh, your presence in our lives. We thank you for... Uh, giving us the privilege to serve you and to honor you, O Lord, with a holy life. This morning, Father, as we approach the reading of the Scripture, O God, I pray that your Holy Spirit will open our minds and our hearts to receive it. Father, we rebuke the power of the enemy that will try to steal from us your word. May your will be done in our lives, and may we be receptive to your word, O Father, if there is any need of change in us, O oh Lord, please do so. Do so, Lord, that we may not be only hearers of the word, but doers of your word. This we pray and help me, O oh God, to be silent in things that are not bringing edification, but also give me boldness to preach on what I need to say things. And Father, I thank you and I give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll be reading a different passage of the scriptures, but we start with uh, one portion of the Sermon on the Mountain that Jesus preached. In that big sermon, there are many sessions, and uh, in one of those sessions, he speaks about lust. So we'll be reading from uh, Matthew chapter 5, from verse 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members, that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Until here, the word of the Lord. Let me introduce a saying that the term uh, lust is usually connected with a strong sexual desire. The word lust is coming from the Latin luxuria. That it means an excessive, extravagant, and strong sexual behavior. As we meditate on this word, we understand that also we can have lost another part of our human being. But let's say if we lost food, then become gluttony, right? If we are envious of the success of other people, then we sin with envy. But this morning, among the understanding of the seven deadly sins, we will deal with lust concerning that immoral uh, sexual behavior. And lust is perhaps the most prevalent deadly sin in our contemporary Western culture that is uh, not only present, but also is ignored. 
The culture belief in the harmless of casual sex is so common around us. The frequent promotion of uh, sexual gratification as a healthy and fulfilling in itself outside the boundaries uh, of marriage is so very clear. And many times leads to much pressure in our lives that is almost impossible to resist to that temptation. Look around us. The Hollywood industry has taken this aspect of nudity and violence to a whole new level. It seems to me that more there is nudity in a movie and more violence and dark images, high rates are given to that production. And then you look around. The almost restricted pornography, the availability on internet is causing many people to fall under that addiction. I was shocked to discover that the first time that I child is in contact with internet pornography is seven years old. It's terrible. In fact, this can affect the life and the development of a child completely. It has gotten to the point where many young people have some kind of difficulties to deal with images and pornography and sexual appeal. So what do we do as a church? How we can encourage holiness in this kind of a culture? It is important that we understand the lust often is so subtle and insidious. It comes when less you are expecting. It's the coming to us in a tackle. It's a coming to us in a moment where we are maybe not ready to, to receive it with our higher guard. And when we give in to that, we see the result if we fall in temptation. Marriages are broken. Careers are destroyed. Even in the church, pastors are being touched by that. And what we do to resist to that aggressivity of the enemy that is showing towards society in general, but towards the church also. And sex is becoming almost a taboo in the church, where we don't talk anymore, where we don't describe that this is a gift that God created. If we live that gift within the boundaries of marriage, and we are becoming almost desensitized to all the images, to all the uh, advertisement, to all the movies, to all the soap opera, everything is coming in our way. I believe that it's time that we understand that we need to face that. Because even the church is touched by that. And maybe someone here today can be involved as a victim and somehow with a person that is involved in that lustful attitude. Or maybe some of us is the person that is addicted or fall in that temptation and is still battling and struggling with that. I hope that this message this morning will give us an understanding of what Jesus is saying and the whole counsel of the Word of God. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will put also in our minds, in our hearts, the understanding that we can be set free from that. That there is a freedom in Jesus. That the power of the gospel, the power of the Holy Spirit living in us is able to keep us holy in His presence. 
We believe in that. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's been uh, uh, so evident in the course of history and even in our own lives how we are different if we consider ourselves before and after we accepted Jesus Christ. I know that I'm a different person. I know that I'm working towards perfection, but I know that I'm not the same person that I was before coming to Jesus. And I know that the gospel is still the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. So praise God for this. Let's see and look at the teachings that Jesus Christ gave on this sermon. The first thing that we can understand is the last is something that begins in the heart. Begins in the heart. Jesus here is rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees. Because they were limiting the seven commandments. Do not commit adultery to a strict sense of the law. But not the spirit of the law. And for this reason they were missing to be blessed and protected by the law. Technically if you were found guilty. If you were found guilty in the action of committing uh, adultery, then you were responsible. But if you were thinking, if you were fantasizing, if you were looking at a woman with a lustful thought, then you were not guilty of that sin. Jesus is using his authority as the son of God, as the master of everything, to correct that wrong interpretation of the law. You see, Jesus says that adultery in a heart is a serious sin before God as the same that is committing the action of adultery. And of course, we can enlarge this to the same thing with fornication. Now, let me explain something. Adultery is a, a sexual relationship that you have with somebody that is not your wife and your husband. If you are married. Fornication if you are single and you have a sexual relationship outside the boundaries of marriage. And Jesus is saying, just looking at a person with the idea, with the fantasy of having sex with that person is already adultery in the heart. Even if a glance doesn't lead to physical action, Jesus raised the stakes, the standard of the commandment, and say, you are committing adultery in your heart. And when a person, though was not committing the actual adultery, were broken two commandments of the law. One is the seventh, do not commit adultery. But then at the tenth, say, do not covet so Jesus is saying, but I say to you, the words are emphatic. Now we may be prone to disregard it to that and say, like the scribes and the Pharisees, there is nothing wrong. I have no sexual relationship. I'm not falling in adultery or fornication with that. We may be inclined to suppose that having affairs in our hearts is not a big deal. There is nothing wrong in indulging with some sexual fantasy. But clearly Jesus say, and is teaching us otherwise. He's saying, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, the adultery comes from the heart. The problem is not the eye, it's the heart. Sadly, living as we do in a sex-excited culture, it needs to be said in the church environment. 
regardless of our age, our eyes wander and our minds fantasize. All around us, there are enticements to sin from the publicity, from shows that we see on TV, from browsing on the internet, and some pop windows are coming up with something that is inconvenient for us to watch. But the man of God and the woman of God must guard his heart or her heart from the hidden sin of lust. I want to show you some examples in the Bible that are very important to us to meditate and to ponder. Let's start with a woman. Remember Potiphar's wife. Joseph, for those who are not familiar with this story, Joseph was an Hebrew man that was brought in slavery in Egypt to serve the head of the guards of Pharaoh. And he found grace in this household. Potiphar entrusted me with everything. And the Bible says that Joseph was an awesome man. And the Bible says in Genesis chapter 39, verse 7, that his wife cast her eyes on him and desired to have intimacy with him. Joseph had to run. And we know the story. He was brought in prison and accused unjustly because he didn't give in. But God honored that decision. But what about another person that we know very well in the Bible? Samson. Remember? He was a judge, a man called by God to see and to uh, pursue holiness. This is what we find in Judges, chapter 16, verse 1. He saw a prostitute and then begin the relationship with a prostitute and his decline, spiritually speaking. What about King David? The Bible says that the year came where Israel was going to war. But David, instead to go and lead his people to battle, was in his palace. And from the windows of his palace, saw a woman taking a bath. It was Bathsheba, remember? We know the story. <laughs> that look, that glaze, caused him to become a murderer, an adulteress, and to reject God's love and call in his life. To the point that caused also a lot of sorrow. Because even the child born from that relationship at the end died. And let me say this with all sincerity. Both men and women have the responsibility to watch their hearts from the last of their eye. Now obviously we shouldn't take this to further than Jesus is trying to say. If you see somebody that is attractive... You cannot close your eyes and say, oh, that person is ugly. No, God created beautiful. <laughs> right? You cannot deny that. But the problem is that you shouldn't indulge with a second thought. If God created a person who is so attractive and appealing, you say, thank you, Lord, for your creation. But keep my heart pure. And I want to honor what you created in that person. Could be man, could be a woman. So this way, we are not allowing the enemy to put something in our hearts that is more than what it should be. We close right away the way to sin. And having said that, it is also immoral for a man and a woman to seek to draw attention on themselves. 
And this is the way that we dress sometimes, the way that we act. If you are a man, a woman of God, and I beseech you in the fear of the Lord, be careful the way that you are dressing. Be careful the way that you behave. Because it is your responsibility also to do everything is necessary and possible not to draw attention on yourself. So we have that responsibility. My beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, let's love Christ who died for us and who is promising us to be with us through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptation and sin. The words of Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, are reminding us that this is not something new. Even the church at the beginning was battling with uh, lustful thoughts within the church. They were coming from a culture, the Greek and uh, the Romans, very dedicated to lust. If some of you had the chance to visit uh, the city of Pompeii in Italy, that city was completely covered by ashes by the volcano Vesuvio eruption and left clearly a picture of what was happening in those days in that city. Pompeii was the most sinful sexual city of the old world. What I'm trying to say is that this is something that every generation needs to face it. This is not something new. And we as a church, we as a people of God, we need to be very careful not to follow the culture idolizing sex. Though sex is a gift that God has given for enjoyment in the boundaries of marriage. So if I read in 1 Thessalonians with you in chapter 4, verse 1 to 8, we find to these words. And again, this Paul is addressing a church. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord. Look at the strength that Paul is giving to these words. We urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you have to walk and to please God. We are called to please God, not to please the world. Just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. It means Paul is saying, you already have your guard eye, but keep it even higher. Do everything as possible for you to get closer to the Lord. For you know what instructions we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God. Notice, many times we want to know, what is the will of God for me, Lord? Here Paul says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in, in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. We are called to please God. We are called not to work in impurity, but walk in holiness. And as a church, we need to care for that. We need to respond to the gospel in a very solemn way. It's not the eye only, it's the heart. 
If our heart is clean, everything else becomes clean. Then there is a second lesson that we learn from Jesus. Persistence in lust damns the soul. I know this is very heavy. But you know that one of the reasons that you can be forbidden to enter the kingdom of heaven and to be destined to hell is because of your sexual immorality. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. But before, Jesus clearly says that if we do so, we'll go to hell. It's one of the few passages where clearly the word of God says this truth. See, with lusting, we lower the dignity of other people. Why Jesus is so clear and strong in positioning his teaching on that area? Again, because we diminish the dignity of the human creation. Uh, among the Alliance Church, we have this wonderful ministry called Defending Dignity. Why we call it like that? Because... Sexual exploitation, human trafficking is diminishing the dignity of creation. Why? Because we seek to meet our, our own physical and emotional desires without any regard for other people. We place our desires before another person's worth. But clearly Jesus is teaching us otherwise. He stresses this in a very clear way from verse to 89 to 30. It's interesting here. The sentence causes you to sin. Is literally saying causes you to stumble. And the Greek word is the word is scandalon. In other terms you create a scandal. To yourself and to others. It is in the present tense. It means that it's a continually action of giving in to lustful thoughts in your life. To lustful and immoral sexual thoughts in your life. And Jesus is clearly says that he, even if a lust begins in the high, is working from the heart and will push you to commit sin before God. And... Uh, why we need to be very careful? Because we struggle to confess it. We struggle to confess it. And the fact that we can hide lust amplifies its corrosive effect on our souls. Because sometimes it's between us and God. So no one knows around us. So we feel protected. We feel Strong and hiding. But the Apostle John understood the relationship between following the corruption of the present culture and the desire of the high. And when he writes in the first epistle, chapter 2, verse 15 to 17, it says very clear, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, and the, the desire of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. God isn't cruel. 
but righteous and holy. You know, people that don't know God, or even people that are familiar with uh, church, they look at God as the one that kills the joy. You know, God, what is wrong if I have an affair? Or what is wrong if I indulge in that image that is bringing lustful thoughts in my mind? But let's not be foolish. God created sex as an enjoyment, as a gift for the couple. If it wasn't really bad, he wouldn't have created that. But he created so we can enjoy it and we can reproduce. God knew the powerful tool that he created. And that's why he put it in the boundaries of marriage. You know, we all know the power, the atomic power that could bring so much destruction in the world. God knew the potential destructive power of the sexual appeal and desire. And that's why he protected within the boundaries of marriage. You see, atomic energy can be positive if it is used in the right way. It's the same is with desire. God is not cruel. Is not a killer joy. Is giving us the tools that we have a necessity to manage sexual desire. The truth is that God is giving the possibility to repent and be saved from hell. And today, when I counsel people to get married, I let them sign a covenant. They need to know that God honors marriages. They need to know that integrity in the area of sexual relationship before marriage is very important to God. And I can tell you also something that some people came in my office to get married and they left because they were feeling not comfortable to abide under that condition. But we want to follow what the teaching of the Word of God says. You see, with this encouragement that God is giving to us, we find a double purpose in Jesus' words. First, to avoid it to sin. He's saying, avoid it to do that. Second, that there is hope for the person who sins. There is a redemption. God is able to forgive our sins and cleanse us for all our iniquities and guilt and shame. What I'm trying to say, even with this series that we are doing on de uh, seven deadly sins, is to speak about the merciful and compassionate heart of God. He's a holy God, but also is a compassionate God. He never leaves us in a place of a condemnation without offering to us restoration. He never leaves ourselves in the sinful condition without offering restoration and repentance and in forgiveness. Praise God for this. Because can you imagine if we are just condemned by God without no being offered restoration? Even when Paul made the list in 1 Corinthians 6 and lists some sinful action that deserve God's judgment. At the end, in verse 11 of chapter 6 of Corinthians, he says, And such were some of you. Where? It means that it was a transformation. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see, you were in that condition, but now God sanctified you. 
He washed you. He cleansed you by His precious blood. The desire for sexual relationship itself is not sinful if lived under the boundaries of marriage. Lust is self-absorbing and destructive against yourself and the other person. You know, when we lust, we are attempting to a spiritual suicide. That's what happened to David. That's what happened to Samson. The only person that is in a positive way is Joseph. He ran away. And Paul is giving the same instruction to the young Timothy. Run away from the youthful appetites. Paul knew. Timothy, there is a battle in your hormones. But run away. Don't think you are able to manage it in your own. You need to run away. Don't stay closer to the fire. You will get burned. That's the reality. And though, because of that, Jesus is saying something very important. That the persistence condition of being lustful will bring damnation. But then, he gives us another solution. And this brings to my third point. Repentance from lust requires drastic measures. Jesus is clearly speaking figuratively here. <laughs> I believe that if we were truly cut our hands or our eyes, our body will be completely chopped. <laughs> right? And we still not solve the problem. Because it's in the heart. Right? Isn't commanding us to literally gouge out our eyes or cut off our hands. No, it's not what Jesus is saying. We need to understand the figurative nature of Jesus' words. He speaks of a right eye, a right hand. Why? Because in those times, the right eye or the right hand they were the most traditionally uh, useful in the body of a man. So it's giving us a, a, a truly great lesson to us. The sin of lust is so dangerous to our soul that we must take whatever drastic measures are needed to stop it. The other night I was uh, watching uh, the, the news and uh, there was a, a, a report from a, a fire department. I don't remember if it was here in Quebec or in Alberta. It was saying that there is an higher increase of death caused by the carbon monoxide because people, they don't realize that there is presence. Because there's a smell, you cannot sense it. And when you realize, it's too late. While I was pre preparing this message, I say, wow, this is a beautiful illustration. Something that we harbor already in our hearts, we don't pay attention to the damage that can do. But at the end, when we open our eyes, it's too late. We are deeply involved. And that's why we need to be very careful. Jesus is giving us a very basic principle that is in tone with what the great Puritan preacher John Owen says be killing sin or it will be killing you be killing sin or it will be killing you I want to be very practical allow me this translation in our days of the words of Jesus if we struggle with lust from images that we find on internet we must cancel our internet service or get ready of our computer or our phones. 
It is better to live a very difficult life today without a computer or a phone than to go to hell. If you are not able to manage it, get rid of it. Likewise, if a certain television shows keep causing us to stumble in sexual sin, we must cancel our satellite or our cable subscription. How can I live without television? Yes, you can live, believe me. You understand what I'm trying to say? This is what Jesus is saying. Better to enter life without having the television than to have the television and the up and out. If certain friendships cause you to stumble, even precious friendship that you consider such, we need to sever them in our lives. Cut it off. If certain places are inducing you to follow in lustful thoughts, do not attend those places. Very simple. This is what Jesus said today to us. It's not talking about cutting the hand or the eye. But again, I say to you, a lot of me, this translation in our modern days. If we know that something is harmful for us, don't go there. Don't think that you are a superman or superwoman to manage that. And I'm saying this also, even for women today. You know that the rampant rates uh, on the site of women on pornography is very high, especially here in Quebec also. There is a, a market of billions of dollars in pornography on the internet. It's the most increasing market on the internet. And Montreal is a big hub of that. We know that. So what I'm trying to say, be alert. We must put to death whatever causes us to sin. And this is not my word. Paul wrote about this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 12 and 13, very clearly, he say, addressing those believers in Rome, these words. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh. Listen very carefully. Not to the flesh. The flesh is claiming that images. The flesh is claiming and wanting those situations. To live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deaths of the body, you will live. That's very clear. We need to apply this in our lives. Now, again, allow me to translate this in a modern context. If you are single and you are struggling with lust, it is clear that God has not called you to be a single person. Pray and ask that God will give you and provide a husband or a wife. The Apostle Paul advises the single people in this way. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. This is what Paul says. Now, if you are married, regardless of your struggles, remember this. Again, as Paul is giving this teaching in chapter 6, verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. What Paul is saying with this. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. 
Paul is saying is not the sexual satisfaction that you were created for. God is your ultimate satisfaction in your relationship with your wife. And of course, so there are other teachings that he gave uh, to the married couple saying, your husband are not owning your body, but the wife owns the body. And uh, to you, wife, your husband owns your body and not you, wife. Paul is aware of the struggles of the married life. But again, they say, your body was created to honor God in everything. And today, I think it's important that the church of Jesus Christ stands for sexual purity. Stands for a marriage that is honored. Stands for living a holy life in the presence of a holy God. And we cannot follow the culture if the culture doesn't follow God. We have to put limits. It doesn't matter if for people we are fanatics or we are realistic and everything. At the end, we believe in the ultimate decision of God's judgment. And that's why we need to honor Him more than everything else. So in making some final application, what are we going to do? To live victoriously over the deadly sin of lust. I want to give you three applications. First, let's stop hiding our sins. We must confess our struggle. And we must go to God and learn and lean on Him in prayer. And say, Lord, there is nothing, nothing that I can do in my own strength. But I confess I need your deliverance in me. I need you in my life. Fill my heart with your presence. Let's turn to God and allow him to clean our thoughts, our minds. You see, through faith and repentance, we can be forgiving our sins. We can move on with our lives without dwelling in shame and guilt. Because the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. And if Jesus... As cleanse us. We don't have the right to still live in condemnation. Then it's not just removing the filthiness in our hearts. It's pursuing and being clothed with a new man in us. And this can be done only if we pursue godliness in our lives. While sanctification is definitively a work of God and the Holy Spirit in us. It requires our participation as well. Therefore, let's fight sin and pursue godliness. Let's fight sin. Don't be passive. If you sympathize with sin, sins will overcome you. Fight with godliness. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And because it dwells in us, it will give us the power to overcome any lustful temptation. And it will transform us into the image of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Let's spend time with God, reading, meditating on the Word of God, praying. We need to know God more. We need to love Him more. And then, and this is not the least, let us establish systems of accountability. My brothers and sisters, you cannot defeat this one alone. You can't. If you are struggling with that, understand this. God 
brought us in the family of God. Whether we can be accountable to one another. The Christian community was made by the Lord because of accountability, support. And again, there are more than 40 exhortations to the ministry to 101 in the New Testament. So if you struggle with that, open your heart. Find the systems of accountability. Be accountable. Allow the person that you trust to ask you deep questions about your sexual purity. And if you don't have anyone that you trust deeply right now, as elders, as a pastor, we are here to help you. And if we cannot walk alongside you, we will address somebody that will do so. It's a question of trust in all confidentiality. If you are a woman, you can ask one of the wives of the pastor or the elders or somebody in the church that you consider a person trustworthy of your attention. And then you can be, find some kind of help. But don't stay alone. Don't stay alone. In my 32 years of ministry, I discovered this. The most powerful weapon that the devil has is isolation and hiding. But if we remove that, we open up, God will help us to be pure in this area. Amen? Can we all stand in the presence of God?